in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to headphones in your ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Dustin Melbardis, and tonight I'm joined with my good friend and co-host, Brian Fry. Brian, how are you? I'm doing well. It's about 80 degrees in my attic uh, today because I was not smart enough to turn the air conditioning on up here before we started. So uh, yeah, it's warm. You live in a place where you can forget to turn the air conditioning on and survive. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Uh, although I will say it was 104 today, so it was not the best day to forget to turn the AC. I'm actually going to be up in your neck of the woods next weekend, uh, flying into Seattle and going to uh, Cleelum, uh, just near Ellensburg. Uh, I'm going to be uh, attending my sister's wedding, so I'll be up there. She told me that you guys are having your hot week and that it'll be over by yep. the time I'm there. Uh, Cleelum should be a wonderful. Uh, if you get the opportunity, take like a I think it's like a 15, 20 minute drive to Leavenworth. It's it longer than that, but I love Leavenworth. Oh my God. It's one of my wife and I's favorite places to, to just, you know, if you ever need to F off town and, you know, clear your head, that's yeah. Free Leavenworth. plug for the city of Leavenworth, the town that is not German by design, but decided 40 years ago, how do we get more people to visit? Let's just say we're a German town and make all the signs wooden and kind of look German. And it's worked. It was super ninja, too. I guess like the <laughs> primary was uh, mining or something and that like that bottomed out. And they were like, we don't want our town to die. So we're going to be a destination for people who want an authentic German experience. So the literally the whole town just agreed to go German. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> and the McDonald's looks, has like sign is like yeah, German, man, like Bavarian just, letters. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we usually go over for Oktoberfest, which is awesome. And uh, if you're in the California area and you're listening to us, it's a lot like Solvent. So there, there are other instances of this around the U.S., but Leavenworth is. Well, Brian, tonight we're lucky to have my good friend Jake Pierce back on the show. Say hi, Jake. Hey, how's it going, y'all? Jake was actually a guest on our episode last year covering Apocalypse Now, which has gone on to become our most listened to episode. So let's keep the train rolling. Yeah, man. Where my pockies at? Where the pockies at? Where my pockies at? I doubt I had anything to do with that. It's a good movie. Well, half the battle's picking a good movie. Uh, but before we get to the movie for tonight, let's start with some warm-up questions. We'll start with our guest, Jake. If you could add one thing to the movie theater experience, what would it be? Maybe just a personal complaint. They don't need to be 60 degrees inside the movie theater. But uh, I guess, what are they doing at the like the IMAXs that are different? They got the shaking seats and stuff like that. We're looking at like wraparound screens, giant screens, uh-huh. uh, to where you do have to kind of move your head and your eyes to see stuff. And the sound of IMAX is supposed to be very, very good. I think it's Dolby. Uh, Dolby, somewhere in the future, Dolby. I don't know for sure. Um, but other other people this. have done that. But I think your your first thing 3D is... 3D goggles in one of those isolation tanks, those like float tanks, just that's the way to do it. I want to watch The Matrix that way, I actually. Think, now, I, I'm not saying you're not answering the question, but I think our best solution here is let's just take you a little movie screen into an isolation pod. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> Brian, uh, what would you add to the movie theater experience? You can choose climate control. Uh, no, actually, I, I love 60-degree movie theaters. I, I'm the guy that rolls into the 60-degree movie theater in the short shorts and sandals, and I'm like, oh, it's my natural environment. Like, it, it literally is it, it is my homeostasis. Me and you are cut from the same iceberg, man. I, <laughs> my wife is like, she's got like sweatpants, like two pairs of socks, shoes, hoodie, Coat, Did you bring a blanket? I'm sit- oh man, I'm sitting there. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice so, little reprieve. But uh, no, I, I actually want to piggyback on the IMAX thing. You know how they make, I mean, I don't want to go so far as to say it needs to be the kind of harnesses that they use for like inverted uh, roller coasters. But I do think that they need to like change it. So instead of like a movie theater experience, I understand that the, the people can't see this, but instead of going with like a fairly steep sloping chair experience, like let's back it all the way up, man. Let's, let's have it as like a, a screen on screen. Like everybody is the same distance away. Like there aren't good seats and bad seats. I think that's what needs that's to change. Cool. There, there shouldn't be good seats and bad seats. Every, everybody should be accommodated with a view uh, that it, that won't like give you a headache or a migraine or something afterwards. Well, mine, mine isn't as cool as yours. Uh, it's not a sexy option, but I think the same way that you can pay to not see ads on YouTube, the same way that uh, the difference between your Hulu, it's like one price with ads, one price without, I would pay more to go see a movie without the previews. Oh, blasphemy. That is kind of a hot take. Yeah. I like blasphemy. previews. Oh, I like God. previews, I, but I look, would pay I, more to not have to do it to where I can get in and out and then go on to what the rest of my day is or was beforehand. I, I will agree that ads, ads, like, you know, when you get a movie, super advertising and stuff. Yeah. 100% with, but I got to tell you, there is a Russian roulette that happens when you go see a movie you're really looking forward to. There is a distinct possibility they're going to show you a preview of a movie that you'd rather see than what you're seeing. That's and true. That, af- that affects like your envy. Oh, my yeah. God. Ooh, I should have ordered that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm telling it, but I'm excited for stuff like that because I want to see that preview because those are the previews that you only get to see in theater. They haven't been released yet or something like that. I do. I'm ravenous for. Well, I'm not. I, this is not me backing up off of this, but I'd <laughs> like the choice because I like previews yeah. and I like that you get to see them but in, if like, you're in a hurry experience. But if if I could make the theater experience like more custom to what my time frame is. It's funny that you just mentioned Force Awakens where it's like, you have another showing of this? Yeah, I have 30 showings of it in the next yeah. hour. <laughs> we literally uh, have, this is in nine theaters. We've got yeah. 30, we've got five different screen shapes. You can pick one. I just think having the choice would be cool. Uh, but that's, that's it, like I said, it wasn't a sexy option. What about this? Bring back intermissions. 10 okay. minutes, well-placed intermission, right? I got to go to the bathroom, smoke I like a this. cigarette, and it's right so, And it's something you could choose, though. Like, do you want the one with the intermission, or do you want the one hey, without? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, as long as the choice I, comes with it. Well, uh, speaking I, of movies, I, I, oh, what, yeah. what is the last movie that you saw? It doesn't have to be in a theater, Jake. Uh, I saw The Gray Man on Netflix. There we go. Oh, I, I tell you what, I watched that, too. Let, let, yeah. Let's Sounds nice. Make it twice. Yeah, the Gray Man. Yeah, uh, was it what was it any good? I think I think the top billing was something that intrigued me. It's you know, it's I, fun. It's fun. The last movie I saw was it was I I was lucky enough to introduce my roommate to The Ring, which we covered, um, and he was kind of blown away, uh, and he was like, Man, it'd be crazy. 
it'd be crazy if there was a sequel to this. There is. And he, <laughs> he looked at me like, oh, what? We, bro, we got to watch it. I'm like, we got to watch it another night. Yeah. Right now, it's time to laugh. So we put on 40-Year-Old Virgin. There you go. Uh, which I, I realized, like, it is not something I initially think of as a classic. But I think it's one that's like, people can quote it and people know it. Uh, you know, uh, you have the the whack, the chest waxing scene where he yells Kelly Clarkson, right? Mm-hmm. I think that scene might be more well known than Kelly Clarkson's career nowadays. Like there, <laughs> there are just little little things that like stand out from that movie. <laughs> the one who can, can, feel can like I ask you a quick a question? A bag of sand, <laughs> of course. All right, so it completely like devastated me. I could not be on Matrix or The Ring. But can I tell you about the correlation between those two movies? Have, oh, oh, totally. Have you, have uh, you but, ever but seen? I have to let you know. I'm going to keep it in, and it is going to take away from our time talking about our movie tonight, which is okay. So, <laughs> what are we? What, so eventually, we'll for, get to the. <laughs> for as long as our movie is tonight, which is going to be Dirty Dozen, folks. Like for as long as this movie is, it's going to be a succinct discussion. This is a very like <laughs> short. It's a very short, long movie. So I don't think that I've ever seen a movie where all of the sequels were perpetually disappointing me the same way that matrix and like the first ones in both series they affected me personally yes and then every sequel was just like well it's because of that brian it's because of that that i generally um now i I was actually like counting down the months i was so into the fandom that like it was necessary watching for me but since that point I have made the decision. I don't really watch sequels unless I have to for the podcast or unless it's something that just stands out as something I, I need to watch. Even though we know for sure there is Ring 2 and Rings, I've never watched them. It's only because I, I'm... the best. And, well, I mean, I've, I've got the roommate hype, you know, uh, this is something we can share for once, so we're, we're, we are going to watch it. Um, but Brian did say it, the movie we're covering tonight from 1967 is The Dirty Dozen, starring Lee Marvin, Ernest Borgnine, Charles Bronson, Jim Brown, John Cassavetes, Richard Jackal, George Kennedy, Trini Lopez, Ralph Meeker, Robert Ryan, Telly Savalas, Clint Walker, and Robert Weber. The budget was $5.4 million, and it grossed $45 million domestically. It placed six in the box office that year. Um, the movie that placed ahead of it was Bonnie and Clyde, and it uh, beat out Valley of the Dolls. The number one movie that year was The Graduate. Check out our 13th episode ever uh, to get a little discussion on that. On IMDb, and the to hear me truly 7. hate on something. <laughs> yeah. God, I hated The Graduate. Oh, if, if look, if you're new to the show and you need a reason to not like personally, you like The Graduate, check out our Graduate episode. Check out The Graduate episode. Also, Welcome. Um, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes score. Uh, critics give it 81%. Audience scores it much higher, 90%. Uh, 90%, uh, it, hard to see uh, on a lot of movies. Uh, now, we actually, uh, we, we did win an Academy Award here uh, for Best Sound Effects. We had three nominees, uh, Best Supporting Actor, uh, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound. That would be for John Cassavetes. And it did uh, also get a Golden Globe nomination. It, the, another list that this movie finds itself on is the AFI's Greatest Thrills list at number 65, um, which I got to say, may, this is maybe, as far as lists go, uh, and, and as far as categories go, one of the worst defined as far as thrills. Um, th- this movie is 150 minutes long, so there's got to be a thrill in there somewhere. But as far as like greatest thrills, I, I always find that list to be th- the strangest. Um, so we'll start with Jake, because Jake was the one that gave us this short list, including The Dirty Dozen. 
What was your sort of background with this movie? Uh, it was a movie that we had on VHS when I was a kid. We didn't have cable or TV. We got, you know, old movies from my grandparents. And it was a war movie, so it was something that we could watch with the dad, right? And I had two older brothers, so we were just watching war movies like this all the time. Longest Day, Sands of Iwo Jima, Dirty Dozen, Bridge of the River Kwai, things like that. And, uh, yeah, I just had fond memories of it. It's something that, like, was part of your... It's hard to say that, like, oh, war was part of my childhood. But when you are watching this stuff over and over, the same way that, like, MASH can do that. What about your background, Brian? Have you seen it before? Uh, same deal. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Hardy County, West Virginia with my grandparents. And, uh, you know, this... Uh, Gettysburg. I, I, I watched a lot of Civil War movies as a kid. So Gettysburg, Glory. Uh, the, 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 the big thing that I think separates something like Dirty Dozen from something like Glory is they didn't really sugarcoat the violence as much. So, like, someone gets shot in this, they just, you know, really, really terribly keel over and die. <laughs> I think we'll take a little bit of time to talk about that later. <laughs> but <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I watched a ton of this and I, I actually think this goes back to a discussion that Russell and I had during the time where uh, he really couldn't grasp how I watch a movie like Black Hawk Down Fun. Hmm. And it's really just, I mean, like I, I just, I watch a lot of work. I've probably watched Bander so many times that disc could melt. Yeah. I think, so. well, I th- I think that it's it, there's probably it probably exists a population of people that say like war movies can't be fun. They're supposed to be harrowing and mm-hmm. traumatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And hey, a lot of them are. But a lot of them are also very very fun. And it could be uh, that you are really interested in seeing tactics. It could be that you're really interested in seeing uh, the interpersonal conflicts between our actors. Um, or, or it could just be like, this is something that uh, is, you know, a, an ensemble cast put together for something special. Let's take a look. And that can still be very fun. Uh, this was, and I love it when this happens, this was my first time watching this movie. Oh, I, nice. of course, had heard about it. And I had seen it referenced as, a, as an inspiration for other types of movies, which mm-hmm. cannot be refuted or yeah. denied. It, 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 the, the seeds planted by this, and for the record, listeners at home, Brian, you know this. This year, we have so many movies, one that are good, but two that are like, oh, it was because of these movies that uh, themes or certain styles became popular. And I would say the uh, the the getting the team together for an impossible mission. Yeah, the Suicide Squad, essentially. Right. And it, honestly, it, I'm not sure if this is the right time to bring it up, but it's almost like Inglorious Bastards, too. There's that. Correct. There's a lot of what reminds me. Uh, there's a lot in this movie that reminds me of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't come up with a list, but you, you can see mm-hmm. them as you watch this movie. You yeah. can see that that's where that idea must have started. And it's, it's not, not even, it's not even just film. I mean, you have Battlefield Bad Company in video games. Yeah, yeah. So what, I mean, what's the connection there? Battlefield Bad, bad Company. Bad Company is. Oh, it's like a ragtag, yeah. Like group yeah, of, I mean, it's uh, it okay, literally, cool. you know, it was, it was based on the whole thing. It's like you got these, you know, <laughs> Motley Crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Motley Crew. Uh, well, you know, let's uh, let's take a quick advertisement break, and we're going to come back. If you haven't seen the Dirty Dozen, clear your schedule. It takes a while, um, <laughs> but after we come back from our advertisement break, Brian is going to give a short plot summary. Uh, And you are going to learn what happens in that movie. So come back after the break and we'll talk about it then. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. 
And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. And we are back. And now it's time for a brief plot summary from Brian. Take it away. Major Reisman has a problem, so he is the perfect to hand 12 hard men who were found guilty of various crimes and send them all on a suicide mission to kill Nazis. The plan is for him to train these degenerate soldiers into an elite force to take out a French chateau full of Nazi leadership. Through cunning and subtlety, the Major wins the hearts and minds of the men through a variety of techniques and uses them to mess with and ultimately one-up his nemesis, Colonel Bree. Having proven themselves to their superiors, they embark on a mission that was to claim the lives of 11 of their number, sparing only the Major, Wenneslaw, and Sergeant Jay. Put all your eggs in one basket and then blow up the basket. <laughs> that, that's kind of what we have here. To me, this, this would signal the beginning. It probably isn't. Somebody beforehand in a less popular movie, in a movie that's not in the American zeitgeist, had probably come up with the idea of put a crew together to accomplish a task. But the scale of this is pretty fun. Was there something about this style of movie or uh you know let's just say it's a weekend at the pierce household when you're a boy uh-huh. it, th- does this one stand out among some of the other war movies as being something special uh incredibly violent i forgot that they just you know uh, the ending how they like accomplished the mission i don't want to spoil it right off the bat but oh no we, we, this is this is what happens we, we they can talk about douse it. a bunch of nazis and their wives and gasoline and then <laughs> drop dozens and dozens Art, of no, grenades. No, 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 no. Great time out, time out. Those aren't those are not wives. Those, oh, that's those a good point. Those are Maybe. not wives. I, I think that there's hey, Brian, a, to, a certain, to wives and sweethearts, may they never meet. <laughs> there's a there's a certain member of the Dirty Dozen who who keyed in on that very early. Oh, okay. So you think that you think that Maggot was actually I just kind of put Maggot up as some sort of psychopath that just had a vendetta against women and was like using some crazy religious like uh reasoning to for it. I that's know that the, off the table. That's not that's not wrong. The, in, in in so many words. I'm about to go off on a tangent. I don't know if this is <laughs> distracting, but the, the women that go to the men in that tent where it's like the eight women that show up and they're like dancing and whatnot. Those are very clearly escorts, prostitutes, or whatever. Right. But I was thinking that these are like German officers who just had their wives around. But maybe, I, maybe they they could be they could very well I, be prostitutes. I would I would put five hundred dollars on that that all of their wives are in Bavaria and Belgium and, and <laughs> Germany, yeah, and they're in France, and these are all friends. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wolfgang, well, we, we, we do Wolfgang. Get- I mean, come on. I, I, I don't know. You know. Who all's been married or not? But <laughs> way she way she rolled in there looking for Wolfgang. I I don't get that Where welcome. Are you? Yeah. Okay. So I I think I think it's it's probably not specifically made 
plane, especially considering that you are now um, 130 minutes into the movie, so where some details might not be... Oh, they, yeah. They weren't, they weren't yeah. shown to me right away. Yeah. I, it, it was completely plausible to think that these are the Nazi... The, the, the very high up not Nazi officers and, you know, whoever their companions are. But, you know, the, the plan uh, goes goes awry, but it turns into a situation where everybody jumps into a bomb shelter. and our <laughs> Which was a very sheltering of the bombs. <laughs> Maybe for a big, one big bomb, but not for, <laughs> for a bunch of... Uh, Little ones, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, so there was a bit of imp- Im- improvisation there from the major uh, mm-hmm. d- during this thing, but so yeah, so it was one one the violence as far as when you were younger is like oh this is this is something like, whoa this this is kind of a big score. It's not just soldiers that are yeah. shooting. The each scene other. where they're trying to push the grenades out through the grate, but there's like you know they're not going to be able to get them out, and they're just like trying before they all just get ev- just exploded. Oh, there's crazy. a panic. To yeah. the idea that um, you know, let, let's let's be fair. The the wives or the escorts or whoever it is that's with these particular officers, they didn't sign up to be poking at, at no, grenades. No, no. Um, but so so yeah, that was kind of an, an impactful thing for when you first watched it. What about you, Brian? From what, your time growing up, I would say that the the thing that stood out on my first watching was uh, this is this is a cool concept of death row, the condemned. To go do a suicide mission, which has become essentially a trope at this point. Yeah. But what was the thing when you were younger that like, oh, you know what? The Dirty Dozen. This is what I'll remember from it. I remember it being like 2010 or something. I came back to this. I had seen it a bunch. And the fact that the girls in the tent were hookers did not apply to me the first. Yeah. To kids. You know, however however many times I saw it. I think there was a truly unintentional uh, by fictional leadership plot point. That was really, I, I, I don't want to say overlooked, you know, maybe it was their intent, but can you imagine 12 other better people to trap and kill a whole bunch of military hierarchy? These people all hate officers. That's, so that's the You big, literally that's the big, get yes. 12 people who hate officers like it's their job. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you send them to kill an entire chateau of Nazi officers. I mean, this is this is a dream job. This is they a dream. Probably, yeah. So, like, it's something that hit me later on, where I was like, "Wow, I don't think you all plan like you planned it as saying these guys are gonna die anyway, or at least spend the rest of their lives in prison." Let's give them a shot at this and see what's up. They didn't take into account the, the the galvanizing aspect of you're giving these men an opportunity to kill the hierarchy that they've wanted to kill their entire professional careers. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm not I'm not going against that point. It's a cool point. But I think there are some who are very much more clearly anti-authority than others. In fact, when you kind of including scale the major. out, when, yeah, well, including the major. When you scale out of the uh, the twelve men selected, and it's we, we don't see any type of real like vetting or uh, voir dire. Like there's there's not like a pool of thirty that he's choosing from. We get the twelve. Uh, you know, we have enough time, of course, to do so. But we we get the twelve pretty pretty early. Um, and some of them are definitely more rebellious than others. So some of them, I, I would say, uh, the the one that stands out right away is uh, Posey, who the creatively named Samson Posey, this giant of a man. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to be an, as anti-authority as uh, we'll say Franco would be. 
Sure. Um, so, but like, would you say that with this this sort of this opening sequence where it, it's pretty quick, the idea of what we're getting. I'm glad that we don't get a one-on-one vignette with the major and all 12 of them. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need it. No. Yeah. They hit the they hit the main side characters, which was Maggot, Charles Bronson's character. Jefferson and Franco. And you kind of find out that Franco, Jefferson, and Vladislav are all kind of redeemable. I can't remember what Vladislav done, but uh, Franco had stolen like $10 and was going to get hung for it. And then Jefferson like beat up some racist hillbillies, right? So it's like immediately you you have some redeemable prisoners. I like that. But then in juxtaposition to that, you've got Maggot at the very end. Who's spouting religious nonsense religious and acting summit. like a yeah absolute sociopath? But I don't even think he's actually religious. I think he's just like predator, and he uses religion to like hide it. I I, I think one of the reasons this movie really holds I don't want to say redeemable weight, but I feel like that's maybe the best way to say it is you really do get pseudo quick character development pretty quick. Well, right? especially considering you have to develop. Only a handful of characters. <laughs> but believable. Like, it, it gets believable character development quick. Yeah. Like, where it's not just a, this is a mechanism of this movie, but they do it in a non-ham way to where, like, you know, the point where it's like, I think we had Reisman all wrong. Like, mm-hmm. in the real world, sure, maybe things don't work out exactly that way. But I do think that, you know, you talk about perfect man for a perfect job. It, yeah, it's like it's like choosing a whole bunch of uh, oil drillers to go stop a meteor from crashing. <laughs> into Come and get Papa Bear. <laughs> one of the I think one of the cooler moments of character development and one that made the most sense is where they all refuse to shave and then mm-hmm. they uh, they all kind of step up as a team for the first time and the major has that like yes I want them to hate me I am the enemy right now but they need something to focus on so they can work as a team and then they go through this. You know, we don't know how long they go unshaved, unbathed, but right. it's something they have to go through together as like a joint experience because they stood up for themselves. Uh, Major Reisman says it while he's having some Johnny Walker with his bud. He goes, boy, do I love that Franco. Yeah. And to uh, maybe to a young man or to a boy, you're thinking like, why would he say that? That's weird. But when you look at the sort of psychological effect of what <laughs> the, the purpose is, is try to bring these people together to work as a team to depend on each other. Can we talk about how Reisman is a better psychologist than the psychologist? Absolutely, yeah. Like, he knows what he's doing, totally. He's, like, a, he's a leader. He is a leader of yes. men. He's done this before. He's experienced and he's good at it. I think the, the yeah, the, and he and he's good at it. He knows that it is going to work. It mm-hmm. just, you know, th- there are some wild cards and some variables, but he this should work. I think that his friend is, uh, is Captain Kinder. Uh, funny german name for uh the psychologist there but yeah he he does a great job um so yeah i think we, we also have the moment where now we, we don't have any sort of idea about how these 12 people interact with one another at all mm-hmm. um in their current imprisoned state after several court martials um we we don't know if they're friends at all like there's there's no like longest yard aspect of this where it's like oh these guys are kind of getting along already yeah um it's just all right it's this truly could have been anything from they've already kind of lived in the same cell block and had exercise time together for the last two years 10 years or it could be they've never met because i i don't there's not really any time devoted to that and that's okay because we get 
um, all right, we've selected you, and now you're going to build this compound together. And through it, that's how we'll sort of build some team. I think the first teamwork aspect about the mission, about what's being granted by Project Amnesty, is what mm-hmm. this, this whole thing is called. Because I think the movie does pay enough attention to chain of command, and this is the way things work with authority. Yeah. Even the generals are like, hey, this was handed down to me. Yeah. Um, is that th- there are rules to this game. The rules are, you know, anybody tries to cut and run, and you're all going to get hung. Or yeah. I'm going to personally beat your brains out. Yeah. Which I'm not <clears throat> sure exactly fit with the Major's character. Did you think he needed the violent uh, side? I think Lee Marvin is really cultivated a image of himself over most of his filmography so i i do think that that's targeted like it's mm-hmm. that smooth criminal like he doesn't even back down when it comes to a room of men who could take him out and shoot him right there rough and tumble he does he does sort of thwart the attack of franco early in the yard he also is inviting each of the 12 to stab Dab him, him. <laughs> yes with the knife and just he, and I love that. It's like just so you guys know, I could kick any one of your asses. Yeah. Well, it is like, pri- just, just we, so we're we were talking about. Is it necessary? Is this important for his character? These are prisoners. This is his picking the biggest guy, Samson Posey, giving him a knife, and then taking the it's knife. It's prison rules. It's this the prison, is prison rules. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> now he's like, I'm like going to kick think... this guy's butt in front of all of you, so uh-huh. you know what's up. Like yep. that's awesome. I, <laughs> and, and maybe the major was smart enough to have a, a, a fake knife that would retract into the hilt. And maybe we never got to see that because he was right. so good. But, you know, maybe that's what he was doing. Right, right. <laughs> is is <clears throat> There could have been a fallback. But when you're watching it for the first time. There's no, yeah. And that, that's kind of the. That's the, been giving it the benefit, I think. It, it, it is. It's also just sort of like, do you don't you don't know these characters that well yet. Yeah. When I was watching this movie and I was thinking about the characters, uh, man, you, you mentioned it, Brian, with like Band of Brothers. I, like, wouldn't you kind of like to see this group before this mission, right? Let's just say you have three episodes of a 10 episode arc show. Three of them are like getting the group together, and then let's see a couple missions happen. Like, you kind of want to get to see the specialties or the. Because you get, an, I think you get enough of the personalities, but uh, I, I'd like to see them do more. Well, I was going to say that, like, Band of Brothers is one of those really, it was above all else. I mean, Tom Hanks has always done World War II, uh, whether it's Grey or Saving Privacy, whether he's in it. Uh, one of the things about Band of Brothers that a cohesive story is their time in boot camp with David Schwimmer's character, basically constantly <coughs> drilling yeah, yeah, man, just, just yeah. messing with him. And, and, and you got to have that. So you get that thing from the major where he's like i'm yeah i'm gonna drive you all nuts because you do need a central person to you know corral around for for hate but then that's that's where the that's where the olive branch comes out it's like okay what david schwimmer never did in band of brothers is okay you all hate me you all thoroughly i've given you focal point of hatred here is three bottles of johnny walker and a bunch of hookers yeah i did it for a purpose yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, ha 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 ha, you sandbagging son of a bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> you old selfie ah, sailor, guy, you. This guy. So, like, that's that's the this guy. Is that is that the best part of this movie? Is our is our training is getting getting to see the group grow up together. Isn't mm-hmm. everything the gearing up moment? You yeah, know, well, the, I mean, most sh- of it. Yeah. Sh- 
you know, like the, the, the commando, like I've got bandoliers of ammo and I'm loading magazines and re, you know, chambering around six times, even though nothing's flying out the other end. Like, isn't, <laughs> right. isn't that the excitement? You can pump like, that shotgun an infinite amount of times. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gotta I, make, the, make sure the slide's greased, you know? But, Rack well, it a man, times. The number of times you yeah. see someone chamber around after they've already chambered around, you're like, yeah, you're losing ammo, champ. <laughs> I didn't pay too much attention to that sort of stuff with this movie. Uh, it just gets a pass for me on stuff like that because I think this movie's made in the 60s. Uh, it's, it'll be fine, you know? There's a lot of passing that's going to yeah. happen for this. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think it deserves the passes that it gets. Be, I, maybe that's the wrong way of putting it. Because I, I'm not, I'm not going to take anything away from this movie for using stock footage of parachuters. Yeah. Uh, oh no, that's out. fine. No, no, no that's, that's, fine. This, that, that's actually a very. I I actually prefer that. I mean, you can go up through Top Gun and every. I mean, this is a a well honored tradition for militaries to use stock footage. Yeah. It's not. That's not a knock at all. Top Gun, another example of how it's. The training for war that mm-hmm. is fun. Yeah. D- d- when you think of Top Gun, and I'm not thinking of the uh, you know our our new one, but when you think of Top Gun, you're thinking about the schooling. You're thinking about the yeah. the, the training they go through. I mean, I know that it ends with an actual wartime encounter. Or I guess it's over international waters, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But that's not what you remember about that movie. And I think with this movie, um, what do you think? Does does the does the actual mission that they're training for that actually brings this thing together? Like like, what do you take away from? All right, it's actually go time. I think by the time you get there, you're you're two hours into the movie, and yes, you, you almost forget that there like is a mission going <laughs> oh, yeah. on for especially during like the war games. But then it does a pretty good job of transitioning. What I think, and this is my favorite scene in the movie, is when they're having that they're having that last dinner with Jesus at that table, looking at like the model, the map, and he's going one, and they all say the ditty. That's right. Two, they all say the ditty, and they just do it over and over, and then it like goes to the next scene, and they're in the they're in the plane and now he's not doing them in order he's bouncing around and they're just like robotically saying right. it over and over seven again. you throw the hook yeah. into heaven you right. gotta That's have you, you gotta have the final scene because the, the training montage is nothing without it um because if it just ends training montage then it's like what was all this for but right maybe they could have expanded on that final battle scene and shortened they could have shortened a lot of things fair i actually so my my i guess my dissent on this is how many war movies have you actually watched where it shows the actual preparation like the necessary preparation to go into these events true like but i think the necessary preparation is oftentimes like you see all right do we have enough yeah this is i don't know There, there was a lot the reason I'm bringing this up is there's a line in, in Band of Brothers that I always really I shouldn't have wear. said it because we're going to add 20 minutes to the show. Oh, I Band can talk about Band of Brothers. <laughs> I lo- it's one of my favorite pieces of art, just art in yes. general. Oh, You've yeah. got to memorize this stuff uh-huh. to be effective in the field. And and one of the things that I thought was unsung about Band of Brothers is like you had NCOs that were excellent job. They landed on a train track heading a certain direction he knew exactly what the line was where they're going like yeah. that's that's the training that you know it has to mm-hmm. I, i'm i'm picking up what you're laying down is that this the, the preparation 
and we get to see the repetition memorization along with improvisation because what do we get right away? We get Jimenez gets himself hung yep. up in an apple tree yep. right away. And we had actually seen this in the training. Like I think his, his they call him mayonnaise. That is the, I don't know what that, where that joke comes from, but mayonnaise, hey, you got to climb that rope. Hey, make that rope taut. And then he, with a submachine gun, he blasts, <laughs> yeah, he, he fires it, 10 where rounds. The, where the other instructors are just downrange on top of they're the pony. He's there. shooting the rope, and they're just all up there. I was just like, oh, gosh. He's very He's accurate with that. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I, be, I believe it is Franco who says, wait, why do I have to climb it? Isn't Mayonnaise going to be the one who yep. climbs it? Like, no, we all need to know how to do yep. it. And it immediately becomes uh, part of the... We'll call it success of the mission. Um, I love that the, at, at the the mission beginning, we, we do see, aside from Jimena's immediate demise, uh, we see that taking out the guards, that another car comes through uh, with four more. It's four silent kills from mm-hmm. Vladislav. Um, like we see things going pretty well. Young Donald Sutherland. Yeah, yeah, you don't expect him, and then him playing an idiot. Yeah, kind of. Uh, he actually people. plays an idiot. Very yeah, well, I, but I wasn't expecting it, right? He's just like, oh, hey, I recognize you, and then he's just like, kind of a doesn't really say a whole lot, just kind of acts dumb the entire time. Him, he's got a bit of a rubber face. Best best comedic moment of the movie is him pretending to be the general as he walks down the line. He's like, I think I've seen enough, major. <laughs> he asked that one guy where he's from, like you know, Missouri Never heard City, yeah, Never Madison City, Madison City. That's right. Madison City, Missouri. Never Browns. heard of it. <laughs> we get we get a lot of things that kind of like are the movie is more comedic than I thought. Yeah, was going. Um, which was which was nice. Uh, I feel as if the the intention for American audiences fifty five years ago was uh, you know the, there it needs to be more well rounded and a little light hearted. I'll say adding to the light heartedness aside from the comedy is some of the score. Uh, you know, you have some scenes where, speaking of uh, Donald Sutherland, like he can't hammer very well. No, <laughs> right? So no. you see him missing the nail a bunch of times. But like, there's, it, I, I felt like I was in an a- animated comic strip of Beetle Bailey sometimes. Yeah. But but then you you do get to all right. Now it's time to get serious. So they, I think they balance it out a little bit. But speaking of balance, I, I do love when we get to our mission, right? And I, I do love when we get there. But it, it is right before that that. I would be lying if I said I didn't zone out a little bit. We, we know that the Major has a rival who outranks him, Colonel Breed. This is something that, I'm just going to say it out loud, I, I, I don't know if the movie needed. What do you all think about these sort of two stories within the scope of this movie? You, you can't be right unless you have someone who's wrong. So when they interview him, we don't want you for the job, Major. People <laughs> don't like you. You have to have somebody spearheaded. You have to have someone above him in the rankings who are who is not on board with him being the guy accessible. And it's got to be someone who's fairly emasculated by him too, because he, I, I think to some degree Breed knows he's a better officer. That's where that piece comes in, where it's like, okay, you're my nemesis. I like I I love that you aren't worth the uniform we put kind of piece that major eisman has for he's sort of the david schwimmer yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know if, if y'all have seen Band of Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that whole scene where there there's like the dumb like blank measuring contest, right? Where they're like <laughs> the major's there on a general's orders, but the general doesn't want him talking about it or his name to be associated with it. So he's got to go to the colonel's base, and the colonel knows the major doesn't like him and knows he's up to something. So it's like this weird, you know, pissing contest between the two of them. That yeah, I think frankly we could have gone without. I think you still have the war game, but when the Colonel Breed shows up with like thirty dudes, and then like the major jumps on top of a roof and just starts shooting randomly, with that. I think we could have done with less of the major holding a grease gun, <laughs> shooting wildly into the air, and because those were the most unbelievable parts. And then it's like all of those guys were armed that he's shooting at, all like thirty of them, and he just goes. Get them, boys. <laughs> they all like all right, so, knee them in the right, stomach. W- w- without going too much into my uh, superlatives. Yes, all of that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they could have been gone. Uh, well, there's also something really fun about that, especially about the sort of get them, boys situation. <laughs> is when the, the MP, uh, the, the guy that's kind of the friend. Uh, yeah. Uh, Richard Jekyll or Jackal yeah. plays Boren or Bowers, but uh, he's there when they're getting recruited. He, he actually he's there during the mission. Surprise! Doesn't me. make yeah. Should doesn't make happened. sense that the MP right. who was working at the jail is like <laughs> right. these are my boys. I'm yeah. going with them. But, uh, th- but uh, I tell you what, I, I I like that. I dude, I, I actually I liked it too. It, I like one of the pieces where I'm like, dude, this guy was invested enough. Uh-huh. He it goes was on team building beyond yeah. the team. It, it makes was, no the, sense, but I'm okay with it because it's fun. It's fine that it makes no sense. I like yeah. I like that. But what, what I, all I was getting at was during that sort of get 'em boys moment, and it happens throughout the rest of the movie. Once this turn happens, uh-huh. was like uh, Boren like starts smiling. Like, yeah. Oh, okay, they're getting it. Yeah. It's definitely the like. The, the school teacher kind of looking at her second graders like, oh, these knuckleheads. Yeah. Uh, what am I going to do about you? But it's like, oh, well, we're going to go to, to war and kill a bunch man. of Nazis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, they really do all warm on each other. And, um, you know, you did mention superlatives. And we're going to get to that pretty soon, actually. But I, I, I did want to say about the dialogue. It comes very chummy between all everybody. It is, it is a, maybe... If it weren't so long, a great team building exercise training video. Look how you can get people to work together, um, manipulatively or not, from the brass down. But uh, I, I thought the dialogue stood out in this movie a lot. It's like things that, like, Vladislav, you know, Charles Bronson's character, when they're doing the, the word association. <laughs> He's just mentioning baseball. Baseball yes. and then cities. It's like. Yeah, Chicago, yeah. Like, Cincinnati. You have the emotional range of a teaspoon, sir. <laughs> he didn't. I think he like got some sort of weird deal. And just did not want to act for this film because he barely says anything. And he's like, I think in the late night in the sixties, he's like a star, right? Oh yeah, a a big star who had had to turn down the spaghetti westerns to do this movie. Mm -hmm. And it's just he just phones it in. He just just barely says anything. And then yeah, I don't know. It was fun though. Like if I were to say. Happiness, you might say children. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what if I were to say ambition? I wouldn't say anything. 
Chicago. <laughs> yeah, Cincinnati. <laughs> like, like that's another like little space where there's humor, but it's also like the dialogue between these guys. Did is... he have any good lines? Any little one-liners from him? There was one, and I forgot what it was. I think. All right. So without he's important for really... translating in German later, yeah. but none of those lines are spectacular. Are you thinking of one, Brian? I feel like his silence is more had more import to the movie than his talk. Yeah, it's like, it's like jazz. It's the lines you don't like. Say. He's yeah, so I, I I just felt like how quiet he was, how circumspect he was about certain things, especially with Franco. Uh-huh. I, I, I felt like he was more important as a silent non-speaker and just being present. Than Silence was, can be dangerous, uh, too. It, exactly. I mean, he, he was a man who not to be effed with. Well, hey, he does silent and broody very well. Yes. If there was one actor to do it, it would it should be him. Maybe this is a, a like a grand compliment to give, but I think you have just enough of screen time of the actors that matter to this movie yeah. uh, that you would need. You could shuffle some time around to the stories. less breed. I think you could, you could have a little less breed, but like I, I think with with what you get and the the most fun part for me is our our training. It's it's the team building. Like uh, the, these guys are really kind of uh, picking up what each other are laying down. The first mm-hmm. instance you get of this is. Uh, you have sort of what's expected, which is that Franco is going to try to break out. You yeah. see him steal the wire cutters or the, mm-hmm. the tin snips, whatever those are. Yeah. And then he goes to escape, and it is Jefferson. I, for the record, it's very hard for me to call him anything other than Jim Brown. Uh, but <laughs> Jefferson and who else stops him? Uh, Chris Bron- or Charles Bronson. Okay, yes, so Bronson. yeah. Yeah, so so Joseph Vladislaw, Vladislaw, and Jefferson stop him, and then sort of another silent, a different kind of silent good guy, uh, Samson Posey, who Rambo is totally based on. Uh, <laughs> Samson Posey is like kind of there as muscle too, and you actually then learn that like oh the major was actually there the whole time. So like they they they, they get the idea that we all must do this together if we have any chance of getting what was yeah. promised to us, which in reality doesn't happen for any of them. Yeah, I think some people would have been much better off doing the thirty years hard labor, twenty years hard labor. I think one guy was just twenty years prison. One guy was just twenty years prison. Yeah, and I think I think if I'm that guy, I go, I'm chilling. I think I'm okay. But here's the yeah. thing, like I I, I think. Going back to what we kind of talked about on terms of naming rights, it's a Band of Brothers piece. Mm-hmm. Like once you are part of that collect, it's what Terry wants to enrich and impart on mm-hmm. his fight and dine along next to Like when the dude's yeah. foot goes through the ceiling, he's chucking grenades like 10 feet away from himself. Yeah, he dies. To knock out. Right. He, yeah, he, he, he dies. 100% dies. Up on so, the roof. To one of so those it, grenades, got to be right. Yeah I, th- yeah, I think that's what's implied. Yeah, so it's one of those things where, like, these guys are from all different walks of the military, brought together by their you know mal past, and based on the major's tutelage and, frankly, crazy psycho training. Yeah, yeah. this is me. how I'm gonna I'm gonna make you guys <laughs> like each other. Yeah, <laughs> or at least if it's not like each other, at least Hate willing me to together. You know, stand up. So, but but. He basically pulls them back into the military's circumspect piece where they say, you know, live and die next to your brother. Mm -hmm. So you have a guy 
who doesn't like higher ups. He commiserates with these men who's been who have been given to, but yet he still gets them back around to the military's view of thinking mm-hmm. on live and die for each other. Sometimes I the mean, word it, manipulation has only a negative connotation. I don't think that's exactly. I true. yeah, I I agree with you. I agree. Like it it's 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 beautiful it's it is there there's a specific this being correct there's a tenor yeah and i think that's what gives this movie it's it's and it's okay that it did not even with all the preparation even the, the mission did not go as planned no um and in the end I will say that there was a moment where I truly like my like a comedic like jaw drop like I, I was with bated breath oh my gosh is the whole thing going to is, is the whole thing going to blow up, so to speak, <laughs> before we even get a chance to like see the mission? And, um, you know, some of that was like a, was directorial choice. I think uh, the idea of when they're outside of this chateau, lovely, by the way, you, you, the decision to completely cut the score when they're being sneaky was I, I, I was like holding my breath when whoever, whoever that one was, obviously it wasn't Jimenez, Not but it, it was either Gilpin or Lever. And, he, and it takes him three tries. Yeah, and they don't. They, they do it slowly, mm-hmm. and that's one of the tensest moments. Is him trying to get that thing. The guard walks by. You're just like, Crack. wasn't it kind of funny that the very first mistake that's made is from the major. The major says to Vladislav, "I left the rope." Yep. Thinking that guard might see it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something else about that, which was just sort of a, a, had to be a decision, was after our uh, after Pinkley gets shot down by the guard. Think he takes out two, but then the third one gets him, yep. and he does the. I, I, I call this like theatrical stage dying. Is that fair? Oh, Brian just did it on video. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, the, the stage dying. Is, the heart. Like, gosh, that's what I, he, that's what I, these people are doing. Because I mean, that's uh, still it's a you know it's a big deal. You cut your chops doing King Arthur. Um, so like like there's a lot of stage dying in this. Uh, even even uh, we have very quick knockouts uh, of some oh, of the German yeah. cards too. Yeah. But uh, the the decision from um, our our director here to show that uh, when they pass Donald Sutherland's dead character, the, how each of them like oh they look over to him and it's yeah. a it's a moment. The guard does, the major does. There's somebody else. I think Vladislav does, or maybe Jefferson. But yeah, they all notice him and like take a moment because yeah, he's the lovable idiot of the group and he's one of the first ones to die that they can see. When you have the three clearly main characters, mm-hmm. okay, uh-huh. and you're just like, all right, there were twelve of you guys <laughs> on a boat. Like you could have like given a token pass to like five or six other guys to make this a yeah it was a suicide mission and blank number survived it didn't have to be everybody but your literally highest paid actors like i feel like it's something that it's a realization that happened too late in film that i agree with you here like and why I think that, yeah yeah like why why not give a token live to Two or three other guys. You could take the least screen time guy and give him a live. And people are like, I didn't think that would happen. And that's that's beneficial. Yeah, I think what, what <clears throat> is important about that, too, is the getting outside of the chateau, once the two of them that are meant to be inside get out, mm-hmm. you have six of them die like, as they're trying to leave. With, with all of a sudden, German from the bush. A lot of them where yeah, it's just yeah. like nowhere. sudden German. They've nowhere. been winning this battle for like the last 20 minutes. Right. Everything's kind of going right. And then like reinforcements kind of show up. They push them back. But then it's suddenly, yeah, German. Oh, they're snipers now. 
and, and it's they, always they like the a first cluster of three dude dude in the bell tower and i'm like mm-hmm. what was that guy just high the whole time and yeah he just now he wasn't paying attention was he was looking the other way or something yeah if you're going to cast jim brown perhaps some would say the greatest running back in the history of the nfl and certainly the greatest lacrosse player of 20 all time, seconds if you're going to have him do a a, a feature where he yeah. runs have him make it y'all yeah <laughs> yeah, not some random German across the river shooting underneath the bridge. Yeah. Well, and and then, then also the way Franco dies when he goes, we've made it. And yeah. it's like, come Damn. on. And it's like, it's two on the nose. If there's one <laughs> I know. sin this movie had, it's it's that one for it, me. Or it's, it's just the like, scream, ah. I'll be right back. It's, it's, it's the, it's the <laughs> guys, we did it. Pow. I, I agree that we needed more of these guys to get out. I'm thinking that been an issue with like, well, this is based on the, it's not 12, but it's 13. What is it? The, the filthy 13, right? That, that was a real, and there was the book that released yeah. two years earlier than this um, that it's based on. But what, what I'm thinking about is, was it somehow some type of importance to the homage that if not many people survived... Or if not many people, like, I'm also thinking about our audiences ready for anti-heroes yet, or the idea of uh, redeeming criminals in the mm-hmm. 60s. But, um, like, would it have been too much to have seven survive? In today's cinema, it's important because if you have five or six people survive, that's a sequel. Mm, yeah, so maybe. Um, maybe they just wanted to go darker and just kill off a lot of the characters. And, and that's fine, but in that weird hug, I would have picked lesser-known people to make like, yeah because you already had like, really if you have three back. guys going all out with submachine guns on their like their the dashboard of their you know transport tr- yeah, those are the guys that die yeah, yeah the t- the two dudes on the boat are the guys that mm-hmm. you know what i mean sure, like that's yeah. it, it's the guys sneaking out in a you know weird way that they never planned on those are the guys that end up surviving one of the things we don't get is aside from the look that's kind of shown towards Pinkley, you don't get anybody dying in each other's arms. You don't have any mm-hmm. like last rites or you know bleeding out. Tell hey, tell my wife this. Yeah, which both makes sense and also kind of leaves you want. You don't. They really weren't get the marrying this. type. Suppose not. Yeah. In mm-hmm. fact, we we don't have any uh, information about that. Although I do think it's sweet whether they ever were married or together or not. That uh, on the 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 night where they bring in the eight female escorts of mysterious ages, yeah. I can't say what me and Jake were describing them as <laughs> before the podcast. They were certainly legal. That was not the question. <laughs> uh, yes. you know? They definitely went the right way as far as uh-huh. if there was a direction to go. They went. There the was right no way ambiguity. The, yep. As careful right. as they could be. But but just, what I just, thought was kind of funny about that was that they, they uh, what do they do? They put on music and dance. Like, that's there's something kind of sweet about on that. film on film. That's what yeah. Is. But what's implied? What what did y'all think of the opening? Which is just him going to the prison to watch that guy get hanged, and then it like goes into him like talking with the officers. But like that whole sequence where he just shows up at the prison, guy dies. Do you I, think I that actually, was necessary? No, yo, I th- I think that was. That was brilliant on the end of leadership to say, you need to be invested. Mm -hmm. Like, we're about to drop this on your lap. No idea. So you need to see exactly what's going to happen to them if you refuse. I, I... I, I actually think the psychology of this movie is the best part of this movie. No, that's, that, that's, that's I hadn't considered that. That's really keen because I, I hadn't either. And this was my first time watching. I, d- I didn't really know for sure. But 
I will say we, we could continue to delve into more scenes because there were plenty because as a reminder, y'all, it's 150 minutes. <laughs> but uh, I'd rather talk more about the movie in our superlatives. You ready to do superlatives, Brian? Let's do it. Well, we're going to start. Uh, Brian, we're going to have you answer first on all of these. Uh, for, who is your MVP of Band of Brothers? Nope. Oh, your wait. MVP <laughs> of <laughs> The Dirty Dozen? Uh, Lee Marvin. I mean, like his, he Jedi mind tricks 12 guys who are basically ready for hard jail death to also death or better. <laughs> so. Yeah. I just, the betterment of the I, entire world, not just like I, 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 I do enjoy his character. I think it, it, it sets a precedent for that uh, actually good officer. I think there's a trope, a lot of military of crappy officers. And I feel like he sets a standard for there is or there are good officers out there. And I, I do think that's necessary. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that a lot, too, is uh, it, it's almost too easy to have an unlikable officer. Uh, Jake, who's your MVP? Frank Casavetes, who plays uh, Franco, and I think he he's kind of the most realistic juxtaposition to Lee Marvin, and I guess I gave him Best Supporting Actor, but he, he's my MVP for sure. Uh, and I'm going to go with Lee Marvin as well. I, I think he was, I have it written as that he is the MVP of the first half of the movie because I treat the second half of the movie as sort of a 2004 Pistons championship team where there's no all-star. It's yeah. just together they do it. Bunch of role players. It's a, yeah. Brian, your best supporting act. I got to go with Charles Bronson on this because I've never seen a guy do so much with less. Like he, he was like, as you said, there's a second half of the movie where Lee Marvin is not the person in charge. It is Charles Bronson. He has had the least number of lines and the most amount of impact yeah, he does kind of come into his own as suddenly way more badass when he just starts murking people with the, the yeah. suppressed pistol. And he just, like, sets it down, too. Oh, he, like, yeah. kills the two radio operators and just sets it down and walks out. He's doing the German. He's speaking the German. He's calm as a cucumber. Yeah, he kind of, he comes into, a, like, a and, totally and, different and, and the thing in my head that happened when he sets that pistol down, he's like, <laughs> like, that's the, that's the line that pops into my head. The the normal, like, this is what happens at 2000 plus cinema. Like, he sets down the silence pistol and says, ah, that did its work. I'm out. I, I didn't have a place to add this in, but I guess I'll use this now with, with Bronson. Um, uh, it, it's just an odd fact that my Opa uh, does look look a lot like Charles Bronson, but also sounds a lot like Charles Bronson as uh, a non-native English speaker as a boy who then began to speak English. Same with Charles Bronson, whose name is Lithuanian in descent. He grew up in Pennsylvania, not speaking English. So his like accent is like really similar to how my opus sounds, which is something that's very, very tough for me to separate uh i didn't give him best supporting actually mine is gonna be telly savalas as maggot i thought he made the most of his like screen time especially he gets a lot of face time um and the, the thing about him being like of the unredeemable like he's the unredeemable uh keeping him specifically away from the women when they come on uh the the moment i was describing earlier where my mouth was open and i was just like what is going to happen here is when the the woman's calling out for Wolfgang, Wolfgang, and and he Scream. is Sprecken, Sprecken. Oh, he's got the knife out, like like he he is the the like he doesn't have the role of loose cannon or wild card. He just is that. And so I I, I thought I thought that was really fun to watch as he blows the cover off the whole mission. Well, um, let, let let me ask you this question. So right now you have people 
incidentally uh, anti-authority for the whole thing. And then you have one guy who is uber-religious, but his downfall is the fact that he's crazy in that note to ruin everything. Crazy is the, uh, an odd word to use. For me, I would say that uh, if you are super religious, you are incredibly pro-authority, just not the authority of this world. It's the authority of you know the world everlasting. Uh, he believes, and you may, you may get this from uh, screen time, you may just think of him as the character, but he believes that even diverting the 12 men away from the punishment they were given to some other mission is somehow like a blasphemy against God. And you are all sinners by not taking this. He doesn't believe what he did was wrong. He believes what he did was be, he was acting as the vessel of God. Uh, so like crazy, if you are that devoted to something unprovable, unwitnessable, you know, the whole definition of faith, I would say like, I don't know if it, crazy is the right word, but uh, it, it, being that like his utter devotion towards that, is it the devotion that turns him into the thing that, that, that makes the mission go off the rails? Or is it, oh no, he just cannot stop himself around. The is it? on purpose that they made the zealot the downfall of the mission while everyone else is having their you know normal aspects i don't and know i i kind of think they just wanted to have the one judas in the group right they just had to make somebody the bad guy and i kind of think they just kind of hand wave it with the religious thing he's like a rapist who probably i think that's hinted at and i think they just wanted a crazy character I don't know why it needed to be him to, like, make the plan go wrong. I don't know why they couldn't have just been, like, caught by a German guard or something else go wrong. Because it just seems strange that he's suddenly going to, in the middle of the plan, just start shooting his friends. I don't know. Well, it, I, I do think that they needed to make the psychologist right. Like, okay. his, his his proposition of saying, you know, you're playing with fire here. Like, I... I think you have a point where Reisman has done the right thing and he's turned a bunch of guys who have varying antisocial issues to the right. But there, so you can't there, just, there, there's, there's some gotta, people, there's, there's got to be, yeah, be a percentile that's yeah. beyond troll. And mm -hmm. that's where... I think your explanation became like whole and accurate to me with what you just said. Like, gosh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, uh, Brian, who's your hidden gem in this movie? Or what is your hidden gem? I actually went Donald Sutherland. I, I don't remember seeing him in any of this. Reaching way back because I saw this as a kid. I feel like this intro. Yeah, and it's cool when an actor has uh, like a late stage, um, like such a late stage acting career that that's what you know him for more than like early. I would say that's the case with him. Um, and there's some other actors out there as well. What about your hidden gem, Jake? If I have to pick one, I, I like the Chateau. I like that. The I like the scene. I like the, the setting. You know, it's like this beautiful building. It reminds me of like some other stuff that's happened in World War II. Have you heard of like the the battle at Castle Turn. There's there was like a weird battle where like Wehrmacht soldiers, German or American soldiers, all fought like SS soldiers to like free these French celebrities. It's, it happened at like the end of the war. It's like this very the movie kind of reminds me of that. It's the chateau where all these like German officers are staying. I believe these officers are also from from, from something I read online. Oh really? Yeah. I thought the the head guy was SS because he's got the all black the the head German officer there. It, I, they're bad guys, but uh, even even the ventilation shafts where they have to like pull them off. 
struggle to get them off. I liked all of it. The tunnels, they've got the, the spot. I don't know. The setting to me is very cool. This this didn't make my change one thing. On the rewatch, and I'm really focused on, it's the constant rejuvenation of guard shack. Yeah, they cannot clear that shack. It, it, there, like, is a like, it, yeah. like, it looks like a, like a four a by respawn. four piece. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it it's exactly like World at War for Call of Duty. Yeah. It's just like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone respawns there every five or six minutes. Well, like, what's to be something free? It's like you, they, they each have they each have their own banana bunch of grenades. Like you, they <laughs> can toss one in there, but no, they, they keep coming. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just like I, I didn't realize it until I watched it for this movie, and I was like, all right, I gotta. Um, I, I specifically took like five minutes to watch it. I was like, it's the one guy that comes out. <laughs> Second guy comes out. Third guy lit a cigarette creepily on the this dude's other cigarette. Yeah, Donald's other than cigarette. Like that was that was weird. That's a weird Dunk thing it. for for a Nazi to do. It's a weird thing for a Nazi to do. Like let's kiss cigarettes. Then he goes around the you know the corner or whatever. Then another guy comes out and I'm like, how big is this shack? How like sure there could be a that's but how big is this shack? Like come on. But also yeah, once they're all getting shot coming out one by one, I think the second guy sees the first guy get shot as he takes two steps out and goes, eh, no no no, no not this way. Let's go <laughs> the other way, boys. Yeah. <laughs> Out. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I the guard shack was was definitely the runner up for my change one thing. Is that your hidden gem? We're doing change one thing. Or? No, no, no. He just okay. no. I'm saying that, that okay. that's my my runner up for my change. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Well, my, my I have two hidden gems. I love to break the rules and give multiple answers. The first one is uh, Ernest Borgnine. He's not quite hidden. I just think he's a treasure. And when you oh, see him, he definitely also has the sort great. of like, oh, I see you're kind of defying the rules. Mm-hmm. You rascals. Uh, yeah. I like that a lot. But then I think this is the one that is maybe more hidden and more special to me is the very first orchestral hit of the movie is a, a tone-adjusted Star-Spangled Banner, only it sounds extremely ominous. Uh, and so, listeners, when you start the movie, you're going to hear the Star-Spangled Banner uh, played out of tune on purpose. Very cool. Uh, Brian, who is your recast for this movie. I'd love to see Mike as the sergeant. sergeant. Like who who ends up coming along with uh, on the mission. Yeah. So the reason I say that is I don't feel like you can get a reasonable like reaction from a, a an American sergeant under that auspice. I think it has to be like an off off base kind of piece. Yeah. Like if you have an MP corps policing their own, but they're going to eventually agree with them, you know, give it a like, why would it be American? Like they're, they're literally training to do a parachute drop pre D-Day. Have them be British. Makes sense. Michael Caine. Uh, yeah. No, 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 uh, <laughs> no kickback here. Jake, who's your recast? Samson Posey is supposed to be Native American. <laughs> That's right. And that guy looks like, Henry Cavill. He looks like if you picked up <laughs> Superman. Yeah. You, gotta, yeah. you gotta double pump the fist, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the easiest answer for me. I'm so glad you didn't take it, honestly, because I thought that one was just staring brightly. Yeah. Uh, for, I've never for seen me, a guy that big, though. That's a big guy. For, back then, too. Yes. A large gentleman. Well, I think maybe the, the interesting <laughs> thing about that is, well, there's two things. Uh, is that the the filthy thirteen uh, shaved their uh, hair into uh-huh. mohawks? Yep, uh, and they put war paint on. Uh, uh-huh. Things I absolutely adore about our First Nation people. Uh, but on on top of that, the 
comic book character, whether it's early DC or whoever, it's Apache Chief. Like the the thing, like the thing. There was a, a while there we really didn't know anything about. Like collectively, we didn't know anything about like uh, Native American people. So like, I don't know. Are they big? Are, yeah. they, are they just big? Yeah, and they're so, just bigger. And so, like, uh, it's Mortal Kombat or one of these one of these fighting games from the '90s. Was like, all right, well, let's have let's have a Native American guy call him T Hawk. What is he? He's big, and then one Dude. of these early and wears a feather dress and uh-huh. is pretty much naked. Other than that, and then uh, one of the earliest like superheroes of Native American origin was a guy named Apache Chief. You know what he could do? He could say a couple of uh, Native American words and grow to be the size of a skyscraper. He was just big. Excellent. So it, I, it made sense to them, I guess. My, <clears throat> listen, y'all, I don't watch a lot of 1960s movies. I don't know if I'm surprising any of you out there. So it's hard for me to do a real accurate recast. But I went with Dr. Kinder, who's played by Ralph Meeker. I replaced him with Gregory Peck. Seems like you put glasses on him, and he seems like a he seems like a okay. you know a, a, a learned man. So that's my recast there. Brian, what's your best shot of this movie? I'm gonna go with uh, Jim Brown's grenades. I love the. Yeah. Going straight at it. Like, I, I I felt like that was a piece meant for film. That's cool. The straight off. Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting choice. Jake, what's yours? Mine is going to also be the best scene because I can't separate the two. But it's before they jump out of the plane and they're repeating the plan and the, the moods changed. The moods totally, totally changed. changed. They've gotten, like, very somber, very serious. And they know what they have to do. And I think that's like the coolest, most badass moment to me in the whole movie is like that moment right there. I think if we had a category that was just most supreme badass, that would yes, probably yes, be yes, it. Yes, yes, um, I, The only thing I'll say about that is uh, this, this isn't like an inconsistency that took away from the movie. But numbering all the steps of the plan seemed like it made a lot of sense. And I loved how they rhymed it. Mm-hmm. But if they're, if they're going to number 100%. that... They also number themselves and refer to themselves as their numbers to other officers when they're like trying to keep their identity hidden. I think it would have been cool to go like uh, Reservoir Dog style and have them be colors or maybe state names. Like I'm mm-hmm. Louisiana, I'm Texas, I'm Nebraska. Yeah. Because there is there is one moment, and I'm not going to say like it confused me, but it was in the middle of the movie where where they are going over the plan. They're like, and I think he says something like number two. And I'm thinking that the major is talking to the person yeah, called number no, two. He's asking for number two, the step. But he's yeah. asking for number two, the step. And I'm thinking, well, oh, hold on. What, 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 why are we doing both things here? I thought that would have been cool. Not yeah. necessarily. It's a very cool shot and scene. Uh, my shot is when the, the camera is coming over the hill to see the chateau. All lit up at night. Very, very cool. Stunning to me. I bet Russell would love to talk about the architecture, but he's not on this show. So let's he's go over to... He's not here. He's not here. He's, he's not, not here, here let's, to talk let's just about scoot over to our best scene. Brian, what's the best scene? <laughs> Actually, I, I wanted to say one more thing on this. Um, yeah. I don't know. This is not prolific. I remember watching them talk about the plan when he's taking the pool for each place. Yeah. The only people actually named while he's taking the pool cue who survived. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. I, well, I, I, I can't, I, I can't yeah, be a hundred percent. Well, the first person who literally, dies is, is mayonnaise. Literally, I, I, I can't back this up. This is something that after you said your last piece, I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, so, Maybe just a little I, bit of. I, uh, I think the only people named because they talk about Bronson's character by name. He's the only person they don't number. It's also just people... so easy to call him Bronson instead of Vladislav. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they um, say so... Vladislav. 
like I'm mm. just saying like the people they name not number mm-hmm. are the ones that live. Yeah, that makes sense. So anyway, <clears throat> uh, well, uh, so we already know what Jake's best scene is. So what is yours, Brian? My best scene is the taking of Red Team headquarters. I love that. Like, dude, give me all of the 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 build up to this thing. Like their whole deal about like you know there's like Larry striking here and he's like ah yeah. it's fine we're all gonna die anyway <laughs> wait a minute somebody like, actually hurt uh, <laughs> yeah dude this is great and the, the doctor is like no 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 he's like no no I'm telling you, we're hijacking your stuff this is <laughs> like we get that whole piece of is awesome an officer who's kind of looking at these guys in the same sort of like oh, you guys are really doing it again whoever the observer is <laughs> yeah. of the game which is his friend I think he's like yeah. the first officer a, that we see yeah. the major interact with where he's like oh they're mad in there or something That's and he's always right. one well there is a way you could uh, arm, arm bruster I think his name is. yeah I think there's a level of the general knows he has to yeah. keep a certain amount of decorum you're shown very early that he's willing to kind of listen to major exactly as, major reisman as well mm-hmm. he, he he gives him the he's got a point and he looks over at the other guy giving the briefing he's got a point uh i think i think once again he's also just a treasure on screen yes um yes. well my, my best scene is when jefferson and maggot are upstairs in the chateau when they're kind of creeping around because mm. things have already gone wrong outside but they don't really quite know it yet and uh, I, I just there's there's an amount of drama and intensity that I didn't expect from this movie. Uh, and and then you have you have him break, which I thought was was so so sinners fun. sinners sinners yeah sinners. And, and another thing, like uh, you know, he, he he tells that woman to scream, right? One out of twelve deserve like that. That's really what that told me. It's like you had a bunch of guys in a variety of positions where maybe they shouldn't be in the army the one that was there and shouldn't have been and it was really important they made sure they said there's a 112th percentile well and the amount of pressure it puts on jefferson to make the call do i have to shoot my teammate here to keep the mission going and does he get rewarded with surviving no he doesn't well let's go to our best wardrobe or our best makeup moment brian i mean come on Donald Sutherland general, right? <laughs> That's pretty We good change idea. absolutely nothing. Yeah. Nothing at all. Oh, well, he's supposed we to be incognito. We pulled him out. I'm incognito. The youngest looking one. Yep. <laughs> we're gonna walk the we're gonna walk the lines. Even even with this sort of rubber face role of like being being kind of young, maybe goofy kind of guy, when he frowns and he changes to the, the, the just the frames of mm-hmm. looking serious, mm-hmm. you see glimpses of what he becomes later in his acting career. Mm-hmm. They pick him to do this, and that could be just a random throw of the dice, but, dude, he's played some of the most insidious upper government officials yeah. after this, and you're just like, oh, well, dang. There we go. What's yours, Jake? Best costume or makeup, perhaps? Lee Marvin looks good in the uniform. All the time. That's my best uh, wardrobe right there. And and he's got a very specific look compared to all of the other, uh-huh. uh, you know, because most most of what you see is kind of what you would expect to see. Um, I think it's also really special and important that these particular military men cannot stand being undercover in the garb of the enemy. Yeah. And so immediately there's like a special move they do to get out of the pants that they're wearing. Yeah. And, oh, hey, I made sure to bring your cool jacket. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> yeah, that was strange a little bit. but uh, my, Mine was kind of a, a silly one, which is uh, the German comms officer that's downstairs just has incredible hair. <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. 
All right, two left. Uh, Brian, change one thing. I know we, you gave us your runner-up, but what's the thing you change about this movie? The machine gun shooting in this movie is the equivalent of someone driving on film. It's like, I'm driving down a straight <laughs> right, run, and your arms are like, it, dude, are you going down the San Francisco street that is absolutely insane? No, you're driving straight, so just 10 and 2. It's cool. And Yeah, they're driving like Toons is the cat. Oh my God. Every time they have a machine gun soon, it's like spray and pray to their heart's content. But they hit them. <laughs> you it's, need to hit it, every wave dude, in the ocean they're, with this. They've shot. got like 45 degrees of spray. Yeah, it's a lot. What's your, uh, what's your thing you would change? Okay. I, it's going to be counter to what y'all, I, I know y'all like him, but I could do without maggot. I don't think he really Ooh. does a whole lot. I think it's just like another B plot point i don't think you have to have like this weird bad guy i get the i get the idea of maybe one that's irredeemable but just to betray them randomly i thought was strange and it's just i guess he goes crazy i i could do without maggot he was ready to do it earlier I, he would have done it if he weren't on guard. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that that that's the piece that that works for it is he saw that like Hey, I need these guys to have a moment of what am I fighting for? So I'm going to get them drunk, get them screwed. And I can't have this one nut job who is actually a nut job. Like, I'm not saying that any of them don't have problems. But I do have one guy who is like, I'm going to find who their recruiter was and say, dude, why why did this happen? But like, I, I, I feel like that was part of the brilliance of a to b to c piece on how these guys become an elite fighting force i think if you lose that particular layer of this then i would want to use that time with the development of another onion layer uh because i i I do really like which would be franco franco's next up right yeah yeah or more bronson franco's next up more fun i think probably more fun to, to view than maggot's role uh the thing I would change is, and this is something I think that goes against what you guys would like, is I would lose the War Games part completely. Um, oh, I, I, I think like what that. you said about, like, in order for there to be a winner, there has to be a loser, or in order to be right, somebody has to be wrong. Now, I could replace that. If we want to somehow put the Colonel Breed, if we want mm-hmm. to somehow have him come around and realize, oh, this does work, or, like, all right, we did give you command and it's going to work out. I don't know. Maybe they save his life. Maybe he's in a situation that's life-threatening and these this ragtag group comes through and actually saves the day as opposed to this that's training gonna, that's gonna, exercise. That's going to be in Dirty Dozen 2. That's going to be in Dirty Dozen 2, right. Well, speaking <laughs> of sequels, I mean, it, 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 the, literally, and I know it doesn't sound like there's much of a connection here, but what I thought about was in Mighty Ducks 2. <laughs> <laughs> when, right. when they're when when make the, this connection. The Go connection ahead. Is, Quack. Okay. Do you Quack. know what they're? You know what ice hockey tournament they're playing in? It's not the Olympics. It's the Junior Goodwill Games. It's something that matters to no one. And for me, and Hendrix Hockey is promoting it. And, and Hendrix Hockey is behind the whole thing. Now, essentially, what I'm getting at is, uh, it, to, to me, I, I it didn't hold up to the rest of like the weight of the movie i think it showed us some cool improvisation things and it showed us like oh they're willing to break the rules they say it a lot who's gonna stop us i love that mentality Mm -hmm. from condemned men i think that's very cool and they break the game which is fun 
I just kind of maybe maybe it lingered too long. I, they I did commit a war crime dressing in the uh, Nazi uniform. There we go. That is a hundred percent a war crime. Break, I'm pretty you sure. cannot do that. Uh, so yeah, that's that's just mine. <laughs> uh, and so now, uh, quotable movie. What's uh, what's the best quote for you, Brian? I actually like the uh, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> I dude, I I. I Look, there's nothing prolific about that quote, but dude, it, it works. Dude, no, it was the best because not only did it piss off his son, son like ad lib the whole. Yeah, thing. It, it really works in that scene. Jake, you have a favorite quote? Uh, I can't remember perfectly how it goes, but Major Reisman says something along the lines of "They hate me now, but they haven't met the Krauts yet." Yeah. I like that line a lot. Oh, that's also awesome. Well, and that actually brings it up into my quote, uh, which is uh, he is doing his one-on-one with Jefferson. Jefferson. Uh, when Jefferson responds, that's your war, man, not mine. You don't like the Krauts, Major. You fight them. Me, I pick my own enemies. I thought that was so stone cold. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because uh, I think at that point, you're kind of like, oh, this is one of the guys that's like, oh, one of the good ones. Like, yeah. It, right? But, like the idea that he's got this own Bible to how he lives his own life. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool to me. All right, we have one final thing to do, which is to rate this movie, uh, which is... Uh, out of five stars, we do half star increments here if you're so inclined. But Brian, uh, rate this movie. I gave it three. Uh, I know I get a lot of flack often on three star reviews. Uh, I watched this movie fairly. Uh, I really enjoyed this, but there is a piece of, I don't want to say older cinema, where overacting was applauded. And it does bother who it is. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't overlook it like in, in a way where I'm like, ah, it's just a period piece. Like it's not a it's not a thing I can just you know flake out on. So uh, there's a lot of this. It's rough. It is rough. You know what? I, I would agree. We mentioned it earlier that this movie gets a lot of passes. We're not sure if they deserve them, but mm-hmm. like the passes you make are like you kind of are used to it, considering it's over fifty years ago. Yeah, uh, Jake, yeah. what are you going to rate this movie? Ooh, I suggested this movie. Um, <laughs> rewatching it, I think it's it doesn't hold up for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's probably it's probably two stars. There's some stuff that's really cool, but the pacing takes too long. It's overacted, like you said, and I think that's just like two stars right out the gate. Just two and a half hours is too long, and then yeah, it's it's over dramatized at points where people are getting shot and whatnot. It's got fun moments, but I was never really hooked. But it also might just be because I've seen the movie before. Maybe if I had done this on a first watch, I would have found it more entertaining. We have discussed that before. Interesting. But I think... No, no, no. This is great. I kind of watched it and it didn't hold up in my head the way I thought it would. So, uh, yeah. I guess I'm a two. For for me, I, we're kind of sticking in the and I'm the high point five that there is with the story and with the the team building coming together. I had mentioned how like is some negative, but I kind of like how Major gets the thing that he wants to happen to happen. Uh, I because this was my first time, I got to see some things that like I could not have expected or did not know exactly how together. Uh, which is which is why it was sort of a, a treat for me to see some of these things. Uh, there's uh, it's almost it's unfair to say that you're immediately going to lose some ranking with me if it's long. Man, I like a tight ninety minutes, and this mm-hmm. is a long movie. Uh, and I don't I think it does need to be the length that it is. I just not all of it's great. Uh, some of it is just poor. I, I don't really think that the that relationship between Colonel Brain, was it? Breed. Yeah, like, yeah. like that, that, that lost on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that there's sometimes where like the last uh, of a war movie, like the, the culmination can uh, not as great as lead up. 
we have that here, but it was fun. Um, and I, I, I had written that I, I don't, I, I wasn't grading this movie based on its cultural impact on Hollywood filmmaking for decades and decades after, uh, because we clearly see its influence on yeah. all types of things. But it was something about watching this for the first time and realizing just how Reds came from this kind of story arc of put the crew together and get work. Uh, and it was it was fun. Uh, but gosh, we really did talk about a lot of the we Like, it just didn't really work for us throughout this. So 3.5 is our highest. But that's enough about our Dirty Dozen. Let's, uh, let's see what we can select for next time. Panda Brothers? <laughs> Banner Brothers. It's going to be on loop. Done. You ready, Brian? Yes. You know what I want to wash down a generational wartime suicide mission with? <laughs> oh, what? Good sir. Disney animation. Yay! <laughs> yeah, so I've got three Disney movies for you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit about them. You choose. Uh, we can do The Little Mermaid from 1989. A mermaid princess makes a Faustian bargain in an attempt to become human and win a prince's love. We can do The Princess and the Frog from 2009. Crazy, it's 13 years ago. A waitress, desperate to fulfill a restaurant owner, is set on a journey to turn a frog prince back into a human being, but she has to face the same problem after she kisses him. And then also... Tangled from 2010. The magically long-haired Rapunzel has spent her entire life in a tower, but now that a runaway thief has stumbled upon her, she's about to discover the world for the first time and who she really is. Brian, what should we pick for next week? I'm feeling fairly froggy on this. Well, then leap! (laughs) Gotta get that Princess and the Frog. We're gonna do Princess and the Frog, and I want to thank Jake Pierce for coming on again. Thanks for having me, y'all. It's fun. Cheers, man. Sorry if I rambled too much. Oh, (laughs) you're talking to the Rambler. It's all good. I am keeping everything in. Thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening, be good to each other, and watch more movies. Brian? You have to set an example, even the face of stupidity. Everybody who reads comic book knows that Kirby Silver Surfer is the only true Silver Surfer. Now, am I right or wrong?